Welcome to the Legacy House Podcast. Our mission as a church is to equip people to know God, live free, and find purpose. We express the mission of our church through adoration, biblical teaching, creativity, and discipleship. We have prepared this message for you, and we know God is going to use it to minister to you wherever you are and in whatever situation you're going through. If you got your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 21. I want to share a little bit uh, today because I, I really got excited about Palm Sunday. I think that we can go in often to uh, often to the Easter week with a um, with a, a, a an interesting perspective, and I, and I believe as a church it's important that we go in really with the right perspective as we go into this Easter week. This is a time that I believe we should reflect. I believe we should be aware. I, I believe that we should be conscious uh, of of what happened for us and and on the cross because of Jesus's sacrifice this week. But at the same time, uh, it's not, a, it's not a, a week to mourn. And it's interesting because uh, we get to Easter a lot and, and you almost, there's almost a, 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 a mourning or a, a, sorrowful, uh, a sorrowful kind of attitude almost. But really, because of Jesus's work on the cross, it gave us the opportunity and the power to have the life that now God has called us to. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So Matthew chapter 21, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. And he said, go into the village over there. And he said, as soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. He said, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and they will immediately let you take them. Don't try that in your own life, okay? Like, like don't, like, look, if you're going to go to, like, your kitchen in the middle of the night, and you're going to take something out of the fridge, and your wife's like, what are you doing? Why are you taking it? Like, the Lord needs them. Like, no, she knows the Lord doesn't need them, okay? So this is, but this is the advice Jesus, uh, Jesus gives here. He says, uh, he says, the Lord needs them, and they will immediately let you take them. Verse 4. It says, uh, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, and riding on a donkey's colt. Verse 6, it says, The two disciples did as Jesus commanded, and they brought the donkey and the colt to him. They threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Verse 8, it says, Most of the crowd. That's an interesting word. Interesting word. You can highlight it, circle it, underline it, you know, get your glitter pen out and do a bubble heart around it, whatever you want to do. Verse 8, it says, Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, and others cut branches from the trees to spread along the way. Verse 9, it says, Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God, the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest of heavens. In verse 10, it says, The entire city of Jerusalem was in uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. I love that. It's a powerful verse. It talks to us about Jesus' entry, obviously, into Jerusalem. This was a week before, uh, this was a week before he, he found himself being crucified on the cross. And let's just get it clear. He was not unaware of the events that were about to transpire. He, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't caught off guard or, or confused by the fact uh, uh, about what he was walking into. Last week we preached uh, the message where, where, where Jesus was talking to the disciples and he said, hey, who, who do they say that I am? And it sounds like an insecure question from Jesus. Like, why does he care who anybody says that he is? But that's not the point. Jesus was trying to ask them this question to really set them up for the next question, which was, who do you say that I am? He wanted them to know, he wanted them to first say, well, who does the crowd say that I am? But then who do you say that I am? Because he was setting them up for this moment in Jerusalem. Because he knew the crowd down there in verses 10 and 11, he knew the crowd was going to be pumped. 
But he knew that just a few days after this moment, the crowd that was once praising him was now going to crucify him. So Jesus, a week before this, a week before the triumphant entry, as your Bible probably says, he was talking to the disciples, asking them about his identity. We said last week that the Lord was asking the disciples about his identity so that he could really reveal their identity. See, our identity is only and wholly found inside of Christ. So we can't find our true identity outside of the Lord. That's why so many people will go from hobby to hobby, thing to thing, seeking and searching for what they feel might be it for them rather than ever taking a moment to go before the Lord and ask God, what is it that you're calling me to? Don't be afraid to pray that prayer because just because that, that prayer, it does not mean that God is calling you to be a missionary on a foreign field. Like, let's get that, like, let's get that thought out of our brain. Full-time ministry for you might not be vocational ministry. The difference is full-time ministry for you could be at the hospital that you work at or the law office that you're a part of or uh, the retail store that you work at. That is your full-time ministry because we understand as believers, we are called to be ministers. You can't separate yourself as a believer from a minister. Well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a leader. Then you're not a Christian. Like, well, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that. Like, wait, like, no. Because we don't like that part of it. Because that part makes us uncomfortable. That part makes me uncomfortable. It's the, wait a minute, if I'm actually going to say that this is who I am, I actually now have to follow through with this? But often in our lives, we have, we kind of, we, you know, we create levels to this thing. Where it's like, well, I, I, I'm, I'm newly saved, so I can't yet. <laughs> Where's the handbook, though? Like, where, like, there's not like a, there's not like a, a you know, a 90-day review that we do in Christianity. We're like, hey, you know what? You've got these restrictions for the first 90 days. After that, you're a full Christian. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. There is no, like, there is no, like, grace, like, 90-day period where we have to see what you actually decide to do or become before you are a, empowered uh, to step out and be the person God has called you to be. But we live that way. I've lived that way. I've lived like the type of person who Jesus was trying to help the disciples understand. You understand here that Jesus spent often the majority of his time speaking to his disciples, warning against those who were religious. I have a hard time finding in the word where Jesus preached against the sinner. He clearly and repetitively preached against sin. But I have a hard time in my word finding where he preached against the sinner. I, I, don't, I, don't re- I don't see it. Now, it might be there. And if you, you know, your, your, your understanding of eschatology might, might, be, might be broader than mine. But I have a hard time finding where he preached against the individual. The only people, the only group of people that I can see him preaching against in the entire scripture is the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who had built up an a image of, re, of religion. They had built up a, an image of what they thought it meant to be a follower of Christ without actually having the fruit that comes from it, without, without actually having the life change and the life transformation that is a result of, of, of the relationship that I have. So Jesus, he tells them, he says, look, hey, uh, who do they say that I am? And they're like, ah, well, I said maybe. And they don't really have the answer. And they say, well, who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and says, hey, son of the living God. He goes on to bless Peter. He says, Peter, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. They give each other a high five. Peter dabs, and then they go. Like, that's it. Because he's excited because he's Peter. And he's about to have the church built on this dude. And so next thing he knows, like Jesus goes on at that moment. So two weeks out from the crucifixion is the first moment the disciples heard about what was going to happen. 
according to one gospel account. Two weeks out, it's when Jesus revealed to them plainly, not, in, not through parable or story, uh, but plainly, hey, guys, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified. Three days later, I'm getting out of the grave. I'm going to ascend to heaven, and I'm going to leave you. And then Peter, because he had just been like ordained uh, as the rock on which the church will be built, Peter pulls the Lord. It says that he, he pulled him to the side and began to reprimand or rebuke him. Peter has got some guts, but Peter is a great example of us. Peter wasn't just putting the word to be, to be uh, the, the shining idiot throughout the gospel passages. But you know that, Peter, he does it again. Like, he, he's, not like, he's not the Steve Urkel of the gospels, right? Like, like, that's not Peter. It feels that way. Some of you have no idea who Steve Urkel is. It makes me feel super old. Just YouTube it or something. Uh, He's not that guy who's the clumsy one always making the mistake, like, oops, like, sorry. Uh, he, he, he was really a picture and an example of us. He says, Lord, you are the son of God. You, no, you don't deserve this. And the Lord rebukes him, and we've probably heard that part before where he says, you know, Peter, you know, get behind me, Satan. Which is pretty intense to go from the rock on which I'm going to build my church to now calling you Satan. But the most important line is the next line where he says, you're trying to set a trap for me. You're trying to set a trap for me. Jesus identified what Peter was doing as the same thing that Satan did in the wilderness. Where he said, hey, man, you are the son of the living God. I know you're hungry. You've been out here 40 days. Why don't you speak to the rock and make it turn into bread? He said, you're trying to set the trap of ease for me. Want me to take the easy way out. So we kind of fast forward a week down the road, and you find this moment and spot where Jesus is still traveling along with his disciples. Each gospel account records the story. There are some differences between some of the gospel accounts. We'll talk about that in a minute. But today, if you're taking notes with me, I, I want to talk about the idea of the approach shot. The approach shot. Uh, it's, also, uh, it's also been Master's Week this last week. Uh, for any of you who follow golf, uh, today is, uh, today is the, the final day of the Master's. And uh, it's, you know, probably if you don't know much about golf, if, uh, you're not going to have to to understand the analogy. Just go along with me. Uh, but uh, but uh, if you... If you've ever watched the Masters, if you never have, I would encourage you to turn on your television this afternoon, watch it for a few minutes. It's one of the most beautiful golf courses you're ever going to see in your entire life. And if nothing else, it'll really help your wife to take a nap, and maybe you'll fall asleep, and you guys will just rest on the couch. Like, it's a great thing about golf. If you get bored watching, just shut your eyes. You'll be asleep in a minute. Uh, and so, like, you just watch it. It's a beautiful course, right? Well, in golf, there's this idea of the approach shot. And the approach shot typically like on a par four, which par four means you got four tries basically to get it in the hole for it to be even par. So typically on a par four, your approach shot should be your second shot. It's the shot where you're, you're not close enough to chip it or put it in, uh, but, you're, but, you're, but you're, you're too close to use a driver, okay? So you can't use your biggest club in the bag and you can't use the smallest club in the bag. You're somewhere in between. You're somewhere kind of in the middle. And really, in every golf game and every good golfer understands, understands the power and the importance of the approach shot. Because the approach shot sets up the thing that is coming after it. It doesn't just set up like a, uh, this thing right now. But if I don't hit a good approach shot in, it doesn't matter how good my drive was. I, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can one putt on the green, but if it took me seven to get there, it doesn't matter. And so we can kind of look at life broken up into, in, into sectors, into forms. It's like, you know, uh, 
some of us like to hit the long ball, so to speak. Like we like to do the loud thing, the flashy thing, the big thing that everybody can stand back and marvel at. Some people are more precision. They, they like the details. They like understanding like the way that the grass is growing. You understand that like professional golfers, they'll, they'll look at the way the grain of grass is growing on the greens to determine the direction, the speed, the angle in which they're going to putt. Like it's serious business. Some of you are that person. You're, you're down in the details. You don't care if anybody ever sees what you do, but you're just down there tinkering with stuff, looking at everything, going through everything, seeing about how you can move and improve. But then there's somewhere in the middle which is, is, is equally important. Because you hit too long of a club, you can overshoot the green. You t- hit too short of the club, you typically will come up in some sort of hazard or some sort of trap. You find this spot where Jesus is beginning to talk to his disciples in Matthew chapter 21. And really, when I look at the scripture, what I see is, is I, see, I see the Savior of the world teaching them about an approach shot. I see him, him teaching them about the things to come. This isn't day one. They didn't just get chosen as disciples. This wasn't, hey, do you want to come and follow me? You can be fishers of men. It's going to be pretty great. It wasn't that day, but it wasn't the same moment. They're not standing on the, on the mountain, and Jesus is ascending into heaven and saying, hey, look, I'm going to send a, a helper in my, in my place. The Holy Spirit's coming, and they watch him ascend into the clouds. It's just kind of somewhere in the middle. It's just kind of really before the rubber hits the road. And I believe often in our lives, we can kind of live in that spot where we, 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 we can... We can like the big moment, the, like the powerful moment, the moment that everybody sees, maybe the moment of an initial transformation in our life. We have a new job, but then do now. But then what beyond that? What, what in the next season? What, what, what do we do now? Jesus teaches his disciples this a little bit further. Let's go down. Look back in verse 1. It says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came down to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them ahead. And he said, Go into the village over there. He said, as soon as you enter, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. I've got four things for you this morning that I'd like to share with you today about our approach shot. That I think if we're going to get the approach right, because we, we, we understand, right, that the Bible doesn't just talk about the life that we have been called to live as, as a sprint, but it says that this is a, a, a marathon. It's a race that we, we run to finish. We, we, we run to complete. We don't want to just drive the ball and hit it real far and get a hot start out of the gate, and then just a couple weeks, months later, we're just like, nah, I don't know. But at the same time, he's not wanting us to just live our life like we don't care all the way up until the very end. We find ourselves on our deathbed, and we hope that somehow we'll have moments before we slip into eternity to say, Lord, forgive me for everything I've done. He's not looking for that either. He's looking for us to be the type of leader, the type of Christian who can walk this life through who doesn't just find themselves hitting the high note right now where it's like, whoo, we just had this outreach, we gave away some books. Okay, well, what do we do this way, this week? Well, we fed some homeless people three months ago. Cool. What now? Well, uh, we, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm involved in this really great circle. We, uh, we, we crochet, <laughs> like whatever. Like, I, like I, I'm a part of a small, okay, great. But it's not about any one of those things isolated and individual. It's about those things being streamed together, creating a complete and whole life. Community is not one home. Community is multiple homes. Community is not one life. Community is multiple lives. And so Jesus is trying to, in these, really his whole ministry, but when, at this point, Jesus is trying to get them to understand really, hey, uh, this life that I've called you to was not just for our 
three plus years that we've been walking this thing out together. This is for something far greater than that. So here's the four things. The first thing is this. The first thing I believe that we have to do if we're going to begin to fix our approach shot is this, is that we have to submit our schedule. Submit our schedule. Jesus is walking along. From, from what we can tell in your scripture, you can look back in the chapter in front of it. Jesus, he predicted his death again. He taught about ser- serving others. Then he t- heals two blind men. Then you come into Matthew chapter 21. They're just kind of walking along. And Jesus says, hey, uh, I need you to go get this donkey over here. And I need you to get the donkey's colt with it. If anybody asks what you're doing, just tell them the Son of God needs it. They're going to immediately let you take it. The disciples then immediately have an opportunity to choose how they will respond. I believe that what can happen in our life, often in our approach, is that our schedules become unsubmitted to the will of the Lord. I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm talking about have you allowed and have I allowed my life to get so busy that there's no room for God? Well, like you said, uh, Pastor Curtis, I'm I'm, I'm a full-time ministry in, in, in whatever field I work in. Yes, that's true. But in that field, are you giving God an opportunity to move? Because it's not just about being there. It's not about just being present. It's not a roll call. It's like we need believers in the whatever, the entertainment field. Okay, well, I'm here, present. And then nothing about us and nothing about our lives uh, distinguishes us or makes us different from the people around us. As a believer, there should be something about us that looks different. But here's what's happened throughout the course of human history is we've often tried to make those things the outward appearances of our life rather than the fruit of our heart and our soul. So what we do is we prop ourselves up to looking the part, whatever that part might be. I knew I was doing the offering today, so that's why I told Miss Becky that's why I wore a shirt with holes in it. So you think, poor brother can't even afford a shirt with with no holes. Uh, No, but look, here's the thing. It's not about looking whatever we think is the thing. I, it, don't get that twisted with whatever. Like, there's hopefully, I, my prayer is that Legacy House always has a, 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 collaboration of people who look distinctly and uniquely different from each other. Be you, for Pete's sake. If you love polos, wear polos the rest of your life. If you love capri shorts, why? (laughs) That's it. That's all I had to say about that. Just let the Lord deal with you. Anyway. But just be you. Don't try to be me, and I'm not going to try to be you. But here's what we have to do in that. Here's where security has to come for that. It's that we have to understand that, hey, look, they don't look like me, and I'm okay with that. I don't don't see myself physically in them. Okay, but can you see yourself spiritually in them? Can you see God spiritually in them? We get hung up on the clothes, and yeah, there is a point where it's like, you know what, It, it can become inappropriate or whatever, but but often that's not the issue. Often it's a trend that we try to chase, and it's like, well, in my day, well, in your day, you probably wore whatever the trend was, too. You had your bell bottoms on, (laughs) and you had your VW van, and you might and or might not have gone to Woodstock. Like, that was you. You were there. Like, no, I wasn't there. Like, there's a picture of you. Like, uh, (laughs) how does it surface? Anyway, I don't even remember it. Yep, you probably don't. Anyways, let's leave your past in the past. You know what I mean? <laughs> but here's the thing Jesus is trying to help them to understand. He, he constantly and consistently throughout the scripture gave them opportunities to respond. But the principle Jesus often taught was that delayed obedience 
is no obedience. Delayed obedience is not really obedience. Jesus tells them this. He says, go into the village over there. As soon as you're in it, you'll see a donkey tied there with a colt beside it. Isn't it interesting? Because there's a lot of room in this for the disciples to have asked questions. Uh, but uh, quick question. So you want us to go like, you know, grand theft auto, a donkey. Like, <laughs> like we're going to go B and E over here, breaking and entering for those of you who don't have a criminal past like myself. <laughs> you're like, no, don't search me. Because uh, you're not going to find anything. Now you want to search. Don't. Uh, sorry. But it's interesting because he kind of leads them into this point where he says, hey, look, just go over there. There's going to be a donkey in that town. You're going to take it and it's cold. So not only am I still in the mom, I'm still in babies now too. And so the disciples go, they're taking the mom and the baby colt. If anybody asks, just tell them the Lord wants it. And we don't see this exchange here between Jesus and his disciples. One of the conversations that the writers typically always left in was the exchanges, the important exchanges between Jesus and his disciples because of the principles, the principles that can be taught there. But it's not there. It's because at this point, I believe there, the disciples were now finally getting to the place to where when Jesus spoke in their life, they responded. We still will see through Scripture that they didn't get it right 100% of the time. But at this point, we're kind of moving beyond and moving forward in the place. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're approaching a new season of our life, and it's because they had allowed their schedule to be submitted to the Lord. Man, if I could encourage you with anything, is examine your weekly schedule. It might not feel really spiritual, but often we can schedule God right out of our life. Between, between practices and, and school and homework and jobs and kids and spouses and just, you name it, finances and whatever, we can schedule God right out of our life. The disciples, they begin to approach correctly. They were, they were working on their approach shot because they understood that they had to submit their schedule before the Lord. If you've got your Bible, go with me um, to the book, of, the book of Luke is where we're going to go. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. And when they finally, so it's early the next him not to leave. But he replied, he said, I must go preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns because that is why I was sent. Verse 44, it says, so he traveled, he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Let me give you the second thing is this. Second thing that I believe that we have to do, second area, the second shot we have to take in our approach is that we have to restrict the distractions. We have to restrict the distractions. I love this about Jesus. Look there. In verse 42, he says, Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. He went out to an isolated place. Jesus had mastered the art of restricting distractions. He had mastered the art of not allowing things to interfere, not with his schedule. Don't get it twisted. See, that's important. Because what we can then think, sometimes our brains can think, okay, I've got, I, I've got to restrict myself to get done the things I need to get done. No, he wasn't isolating himself to complete his task. He was isolating himself to grow closer to the Lord. So, so he had went away to an isolated place, and the crowd searched everywhere. Often we search for the crowd. As leaders, as people who are trying to be successful in whatever career field or industry we're involved in, especially those who are involved in ministry, we search for the crowd. 
We're, we're seeking those to validate where we are. We're seeking those to listen to what I have to say. We're seeking those who will say, you know what? You don't deserve that. Or you know what? You do deserve that. Like we're seeking for those who will clap with their hands and pat us on the back and tell us, you know what? We were great. We've been great. We've never done anything wrong. Just keep going. You're the greatest. I'm going to buy your podcast. I'm going to buy your, your tape, you know, ministry, whatever you have. Like, I'm going to buy all these things. I, I want to fully invest and support in you. And Jesus isolated himself so that he could remove and restrict the distractions inside of his life. What currently is distracting you? I, and I'm not even talking about like in life. I'm talking about what have you thought about even during this message? Like, I haven't thought about anything. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the point. We've all probably thought about something. I've thought about things. Lunch. <laughs> but what have you thought about during this message? Maybe you thought about your job. Maybe you thought about your kids. Maybe you thought about what you need to get done tomorrow. Maybe you thought about a lot of different things. Isn't it interesting, though? Because our thought life often indicates our life. We often think it's just, well, it's just up in my head. And, and I believe the church doesn't do a good job. And, I, and I, I mean, this is another message for another day. But I believe the church doesn't do a good job not only addressing, but helping lead people who are walking even through mental health issues. I think we don't want to talk about it. We want to, we want to pray it off of people. And sometimes we need to cl create a clear path of, 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 of uh, accountability and of, of structures and of healing that can happen because everything that you've ever struggled with in your life comes from a root. The issue is not the thing that you're doing. The issue is the root that it's growing from. Jesus grew from the root of Jesse, where David, he came from the lineage of David. It, it, he, 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 he came from a source. There was a source specific for Jesus. There's a source specific for everything inside of our life. So when you look at this and you're sitting here thinking about, oh, my kids got to get a shot next week or we got a, a dentist appointment or whatever it might be. We, what's going on inside of our brain often can distract us from the thing God wants us to do. You know that you can often think about good things, but it might be the wrong time to think about those things. I... Haven't you ever noticed that when you pray is the moment your brain starts racing? It's weird, isn't it? Or you'll take like a moment to sit down and like read your Bible and all of a sudden like you get stressed out about something completely not related to any of that. Or like if you're a parent, like you finally have like two seconds where you feel like the house is quiet and you're going to sit down and like just give the Lord your, your attention and then a baby will start screaming or something will happen. And it just, it's because the enemy loves to operate through distraction. If he can keep us distracted, he can keep us disillusioned to the thing God actually wants to do in our life. So Jesus, he pulled himself away. He isolated himself. This is the crowds, they search for him everywhere. And it goes on down. Verse 30, 43, it says, But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in the towns too, in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. He says, look, this is great, guys. I'm glad you found me because they finally found him. Here he is isolated, praying, son of God, they come, and they're just excited to hear from him again. He's like, look, hey, I've got to go. I can't just stay here, set up shop, and just preach here the rest of my life. That's not, there's other people who need to hear this news. That's why as a church, we try to be such an active church. That's why as a church, we believe that we have to be a generous church because our generosity as people sowing into the house, time, treasure, and talent, gives us the ability to reach more people outside of the house. If, we, if people aren't giving generously with their time, treasure, or talent, we don't get to reach anybody. We'll, we'll just be another church that has a whole lot of dreams, talks about a whole lot of things, and has the resources to do none of it. 
But Jesus, he said, look, hey, uh, I, there's other people who need to hear this news. That's why we're, we're continuing to press the ball forward. Like, we're going to push this thing all the way down the field. That's why we're going to plant a campus in New Orleans next year. That's why, because there's people who need to hear the good news. And if I've got it, it's not my responsibility to say, well, they've got a few churches over there. They should be good. If God has put the desire inside of us as people, it is our responsibility to respond to that desire. But often we can't hear it. We can't hear it because our schedule has completely eliminated God from our life. We're so distracted by the things around us that we, we can't actually focus on taking a moment to hear what he wants to say. And the third thing is this, is that we haven't allowed ourselves to be affected by affection. We haven't allowed ourselves to be affected, with an E, by affection, with an A. Did I spell it wrong? I didn't put it in the computer. <laughs> I probably, they probably copied my notes. Oh, come on. Rookie move. I'm just playing. My notes say any. My notes say any. Anyways. So I wonder why people are like, no, it doesn't say any. Uh, I wasn't trying to like, you know, put them on blast. Effected by affection. No fault. I'll take the, I'll take the blame. So you're lucky it even had an A. Is it, was that a start with an I? Uh, I affected with preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Other times, because that is why I was sent. He was affected with his love for people. It, 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 it mattered too much to him, to people who still needed to hear, to just stay in one place. It mattered too much to him. It mattered too much to him just to set up shop right here because he had drawn a crowd. I pray that our focus never becomes drawing a crowd. And I'm not just talking about it. We can all agree with that from a church standpoint. We're like, amen, we don't want to be one of those. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about even in our personal lives. That at your job, you don't just try to draw a crowd. That you don't do what you do simply for the recognition that comes from it. That you don't love your spouse simply so that you can receive the love that you desire. A lot less amens than when we're talking about the church. Everyone's like, amen, about the church. But no one wants to talk about it in our own life. Because we want, to be, we want to feel like this is the place when I come in here. This is when I get affected uh, by affection. Like, whoa, the you know, extravagant love of God. But like, no, he wants that to be carried outside of this place. It can't stay in here. And if it only stays in here, then we've missed the whole thing. There's a lot of people who don't go to church, not because they hate God. It's because they don't like what they've seen. And what they have seen is a horrible, incomplete, misrepresentation of who God is. Why? It's because we got a lot of people who walk inside the doors of church buildings who talk about the passionate love of Christ in here and don't passionately love anything outside of these doors. They don't love their husband. They don't love their wife. They don't love their kids. They don't love their job. They don't love anything. And so it's confusing to them because they sit next to you at the cubicle, but then one day you got the guts to invite them to church, which we should be doing, but somehow the, the, the truth, you know, I have been that type of person where I have blown up at times in public places and I've gotten frustrated about something and I knew I was supposed to invite that person to church and I chose not to simply out of a place of embarrassment. I was like, man, that would have been a great person to invite if I wouldn't have acted the way that I did. Now I'm not going to. And often we struggle with that. We're like, I just don't know why. I, I, I just, I can't get, I don't, I don't know anybody who would come. Maybe it's not that we don't know anybody who would come. Maybe it's that we would be uncomfortable if they came. 
Maybe it's because in our heart of hearts, we know that me outside of this room is me different than inside of this room. Jesus tried to help him understand. He said, look, hey, um, I'm affected by my love for others. I'm changed by my love for others. I, I'm, I'm stirred by my love for others. Our prayer, my prayer for you today is that would be us as well. Look back over with me in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 11. They don't have to put the scripture on the screen, but I'm just going to read it to you just to, as we close up with the, the, the fourth and the, the final point here. Genesis chapter 49, verse 8. You can stay in Mark. Genesis chapter 49, verse 8. This is uh, when Jacob begins to speak to his sons, and he begins to, he begins to bless his sons. And, and this is his last and final words that he said to his sons. And he goes on down, and he starts with Reuben, right? And we love talking about the different, you know, the tribes of Israel. He begins to reprimand Reuben because Reuben slept with one of Jacob's wives. He slept uh, with a mother of his. Then he goes on down and talks to Simeon and, and, and Levi, and he begins to talk about their anger. And he says, I, I pray that I would never have to be on the other end of your, your anger and your wrath and, and who you are. And then he gets down to Judah in verse 8, and it says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. He said, you will grasp your enemies by the neck. All of your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating his prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. Verse 10, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one, speaking of Jesus, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, and the one whom all nations will honor. Verse 11 is where we're going to stop. He ties his foal to the grapevine and the colt of his donkey to a choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine and his robes in, uh, he, in his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. I love this because Judah goes on, and I mean, Jacob goes on and he blesses Judah. Judah has the powerful one. He goes, I love the next one. The next one is Zebulun. He says, Zebulun, you'll settle by the she- seashore and you'll harbor ships. That's it. Like, that's it. That's it. Like, Judah's just like, your family will bow to you. You're like a lion who just ate your prey, like covered in blood. Like, that's a pretty manly thing. Like, that picture of that is powerful. And then you get to Zebulun, hey, man, uh, you're going to get a nice boat. And uh, I'm, le- I'm leaving you the family boat. You're going to be on the seashore. Just have fun, I guess. So, like, and, and Judah, he has this big moment, right? And he says, look, from your line, the one is going to come. There will always be a descendant in your line. And so you see from the line of Judah, you have the line of, uh, of Jesse and David. And, 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 and from Jesse and David, you get all the way up to Jesus in the New Testament. And you find him in this spot. Here you find him in this moment where, man, now he's there. Now he's ready. Now it's, now it's the place. Mark chapter 11. Look all the way down with me, if you will, in... Uh, Let's do verse 10. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise to God in the highest of heavens. Verse 11, it says, So Jesus came into Jerusalem, and he went to the temple. And after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He goes on to tell the story of the fig tree. It says that the the, the, the tree, the term for it would be that the tree was at full leaf, meaning that it, it, had, it had all of its leaves, meaning that the fruit should have been there. And trees like this, the fig tree, the fruit often arrives before the leaves. Isn't that interesting in your life? So before you felt qualified to bear fruit, the Bible says that you have the ability to bear fruit. 
before your life is full of leaves, before, before it's all put together, before all of your spots have been covered, you should already be bearing fruit. But disciples, once again, didn't understand the picture because he, he curses the tree, and the Bible says that it immediately, immediately withers up and dies. They get frustrated, and they get angry. They're like, what? He says, look, it, it was full of leaves. It, 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 had, it had passed the point of bearing fruit. We think that once we get our life right, we're ready to bear fruit. Jesus said, no, it's not at all. He has passed now the point of bearing fruit. Let me give you the fourth and the final thing is this. And it's found back in verse 11. The fourth and final thing is this, is examine before action. Examine before action. Verse 11, it says, So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. And after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. This is an important thing for you to understand and know. Because this, I don't know how I hadn't seen it. I just had never seen it. The, the, the gospel account in the book of Matthew is different. In chapter 21, it says that as the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Like you had this moment where like Jesus enters into Jerusalem and like you have one side of the street shouting, who is this? And the other side of the street shouting back, it's Jesus of Galilee. Like they're kind of having that thing going on. It's this big grand moment. And then you get all the way down to verse 12. It says Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out. Like the Bible says he began to flip it over the tables and he was running out the tax collectors, the money changers. But that's not actually the chronological account of what happened. That's important for us to know. Because it kind of has always felt like a hard shift and transition for me. Like Jesus rides in, like you have kids, like you have the, the Palm Sunday picture in your brain, like kids w waving palm branches. Like here he is riding on like a, a, a borrowed colt. And so like he's riding not even on a full-grown donkey, but like a baby donkey. Like this is amazing. Like here he is. And he like hops off the donkey as people are chanting his name. And it's like Jesus almost got loose, walked into the temple, and then decided he was going to start throwing things over just because they had said he was the son of God. And he's feeling pretty high on himself. It feels a lot like Peter. Feels a lot like, hey, this is Hosanna. And he's like, I know. And he goes in and just starts doing work. But that's not actually what happened. In the true chronological gospel account is what happened in Mark. See, the reason that Matthew moved the chronological account around was the story in which Jesus was, or who Matthew was writing the book to. Mark wrote it in chronological account, and it says in verse 11 there in Mark, it says that after he, had, he went into Jerusalem, after he looked around carefully at everything, that is important. Because what can happen is, here's my problem, here's the problem with my golf game. I have, I have ADD real bad. And, and so about seven holes in, I'm, I'm, I'm mentally like thinking about a thousand things. So I'll just start going to the bag, grabbing things. Oh, I'm, I'm 200 yards out, I'm going to hit a pitching wedge. Just see what I can do with this. I'm going to close up the face on this and just rip it. It's not going to work. It's the wrong club. But here's what happens. You see guys who are good, guys who care. They'll go out there. They either play the same course a thousand times, go golf with Mr. Dana sometime, but he can tell you how far you are away from any point on the golf course. Like, you go play the course repetitively, you'll know the distance. You'll have examined everything carefully. You'll know from what spot you should hit what club, at, at what point you should shoot a little bit further, and at what point you should lay up. And here's what Jesus did. He says that after he did this, he rode into town, he goes to the temple, he examines everything that's going on carefully, and then leaves. They were still, they, there were still tax collectors in there. There were people still selling stuff in there. It was still a den of thieves. It didn't become a den of thieves the next morning. He walked in and said, oh, what happened? I was here yesterday. No, that's not what took place. He examined before he responded in action. I think it's important for us in our life.
begin to examine some things before we just act. We can often walk up to it and we're like, well, it's about, I just need to try harder. And we grab the try harder club out of our bag and we just keep swinging. No, 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 I just need to, I just need to, I just need to watch my, I just need to watch my mouth. I just, it's not, I just, I just we grab the watch our mouth club out of the bag and we just swing away. But we don't actually exist in them. It's, you know, they just don't like me. They just don't like me because uh, of who I am. Or I'm just different than them. You grab that, I'm just different than them club out of the bag and you just begin to swing away. And that's the club you use. If you've ever golfed with a good golfer, Mr. Dana's done this to me before. I'll pull a club out and say, what club are you using? Uh, I was, I was going to use, I was going to use a, a seven. And he'll, he'll, because he's a good teacher. He's been many years as a teacher. As a good teacher, he doesn't say, hey, idiot, put the seven back in the bag. <laughs> he's never said that. He probably has wanted to. Uh, but he's never, he's never said that. Typically, it goes something like this. Okay, well, I typically shoot a six. And then someone, as someone who can recognize that, hey, look, this guy knows more about this course than I do. Typically, you go back to your bag, typically while he's shooting. Slowly walk back to your bag and try to <laughs> quietly slide your seven back into your bag, pull out the, the six, and go back to where you were and swing away. It's because someone who knows better than you has already examined what's in front of you. All you can see is from where you stand. But he's like, hey, look, I know it looks like a straight shot, but just beyond that edge, there's a bunker that you can't see. If you shoot a seven, you're going to land up in that bunker every single time. Man. It's important in our life that we understand the principles Jesus was trying to teach. It's interesting because the Jewish people, they got upset. They got angry. They were looking for him to ride in on a, on a war horse. They were looking for him to set up an established kingdom on earth. Here the Savior of the world rides in on a donkey. I felt like, you know, they probably had to like hype themselves up about that. You know, I'm like, all right, all right, all right, donkey, mixing it up, mixing it up, <laughs> keeping him off guard, keeping him off guard. He's got a donkey now. The horse is out back. Like, not like, like they're, they're getting amped up about this because they're like, they're, expect, they're expecting him to come, like, they're expecting the kind of the progression of Matthew's account. Hey, let's do this. Walks in the temple, start throwing stuff over, just, you know, firing off shots. No, 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 it's not actually happened because it's not who Jesus was. I was sitting this morning getting ready. I was just thinking about this uh, scripture because I, and Palm Sunday is a big deal. Really is as big as Easter. Because he didn't have to go. He didn't have to show, he didn't have to show up. And the people got frustrated and they got angry because they were expecting him to conquer a city. They were expecting him to conquer the world. But what they lost in translation was that Jesus had come to conquer their hearts. What they had lost in the midst of everything, in the midst of their idea, their understanding, was Jesus knew that everything on this earth is going to fade away. The buildings that we try to protect will just become rubble. The spaces, the homes that we invest so much in right now, one day will be gone. So here they were, confused by the moment because they felt like, hey, uh, he's coming to conquer a city, man. This is going to be amazing. Okay, there's a donkey. We can, go with the, we can go with donkey. And they didn't realize. They didn't realize. They never saw it coming. 
They never saw it coming. That what he was coming for was not their city. What he was coming for was their heart. What he was coming for was their life. What he was coming for was their soul. That Zoe, life of God. In John, it says that he's given us life and life abundantly. The word there is Zoe life. The divine life. He's given us divine life and divine life abundantly. Not just life, not just me, not just... But he's given me Zoe life. Today he's given you Zoe life. Look, we're, we're approaching Easter. But not only are we approaching Easter, we're approaching our purpose. We're approaching our future. We're approaching maybe a family. Maybe you're approaching marriage. Maybe you're approaching the next season of, season of your life and you're about to become empty nesters. Maybe. But we're all approaching something today. The approach is important. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. You can find more info and resources from Legacy House on our website, www.legacyhouse.life or by following us on social media under the handle at LegacyHouseFL. Don't miss next week's podcast, From Our House to Yours.